It's good to hear God's word with you this morning. Let's uh, come before the Lord with a brief moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, sanctify us. Make us holy this morning by the truth, for your word is truth. Amen. This morning, we'll take a look at these words for us from Mark chapter 10. We've been walking slowly through the book of Mark this summer, learning what we can from Jesus as he asks us to follow after him. The book of Mark is a great book about getting things right, how Jesus is making things right as he brings his kingdom. And today, he wants to focus us on relationships. You heard about marriage relationships and about parental relationships and about children to their parents. So he's got all of these relationships for us, and he he would ask us to find ways to, to get them right. Now, one of the hardest things for me as a pastor, well, I don't know, I think I've probably told you there's lots of hard things, but one of the hard things for me as a pastor has been watching the people that I marry and even counsel then go through really tough times in their marriages and sometimes even get divorced. You know, you think, I haven't been in, in ministry that long, and yet I've already had people getting divorces. You know, I, I like marriage. I like encouraging people and guiding people when they have uh, questions and when they're seeking to strengthen their marriage. I'm not sure about the wedding part of it. You know, the wedding's not about me, and it's kind of just a, uh, well, a little bit of a hassle sometimes for pastors to be involved in. But I like the, uh, the counseling or the, the advice and the, the giving of God's Word, the instructing in God's Word, that whole part. I like that part. And I like I like applying that to myself. You know, my wife and I, we've spent a number of hours together reading books. We've spent time studying marriage so that we can get better about it. We've spent time talking to pastors. We've spent time talking to counselors. Uh, we've, we've worked through lots of exercises so that we can get better individually at marriage life. Uh, but, and and I, so I like it. I have got a whole stack of tools if you want to spend our time together and, and work on your relationship. Love to, love to do that with you. That's because Jesus has put this, uh, such a great picture of of what relationships can be before us. And one of the hardest things then for me to learn as I've, I've helped other people through their relationships is that relationships can't be fixed, they can just get made. Do you know what I mean? Have you noticed the same thing? And I'm not saying that if, if trust is broken in these relationships that you can't make new trust. I'm not saying that if mistakes have been made that you can't find a way to move past them and find new success. But I am saying you can't fix those things. You just have to find ways to integrate them into a new relationship. If you've got brokenness and hurt, that doesn't ever disappear. You have to find a way to integrate it, put it into a new relationship. And that's what Jesus wants to show you and I this morning in such a great way. That even if relationships can't get fixed, they can get made. And he's got his own way to say it, and it's so much more wonderful, so much more beautiful than anything I could ever say. And so let's see what Jesus has for us here in Mark chapter 10. He starts out here, and uh, it's because the disciples and, and the ancient Jewish people want to talk about divorce. Now, ancient Judaism regulated divorce. By regulated means they had policies, they had rules to govern how divorce took place. And you can read about all of that if you'd like to uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now you can tell how the ancient Jewish leaders at Jesus' time understood these regulations about divorce. They said Moses 
permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce. So the Jewish leaders understood divorce as permitted, right, as allowed. That answer is a decent political and, and civil answer, I think we would all say. Divorce is, is part of, of dealing with the end of relationships, the breakdown of relationships in a society. Every society has to have a way to deal with that. And, and Jesus doesn't say no divorce. He doesn't say that, right? He, he, he read it. Uh, he didn't say it's all coming to an end. He said what God has put together let nobody separate. And this is the first thing that, that God would have you and I notice this morning. You notice he doesn't use the words even, Jesus, he, I mean, he doesn't use the words marriage and divorce, does he? And those aren't euphemisms, the putting together and the separate. Those aren't euphemisms or, or ways of talking around the words marriage and divorce. Jesus isn't afraid of those words. What Jesus is saying is, you know, I'm not interested. I don't want to get into your debates about how exactly to regulate divorce and how exactly to regulate marriage. Every society has got to figure out ways to regulate divorce and marriage. What I want you to know, he's saying, is if God has put people together, then, and they really are together, then let them stay together. That's the first thing that Jesus would have us take away this morning. Right? That if, if God has put people together, then let them stay together. They, they should be staying together. But that he doesn't stop there. And, and that's not at all the big takeaway from these verses. If that's what you take away from these verses, you're, you're missing the point. You really, right? You're not getting it. The Jewish leaders, they want to discuss this. Uh, and, and they want to even trap Jesus in it. And the, the, what they're hoping this is that if Jesus says divorce is not permitted, then they're going to say, well, look at who do you think you are? You think you're smarter than Moses? Right? Moses gave us these laws. You, you think you're smarter than Moses? And, and if, if Jesus says, yeah, divorce is lawful, then they're going to say to him, oh, you liberal, you're just going to break down society. You're going to cause society to fall apart. And Jesus won't have any of that. Jesus wants to go back to the beginning and say, look, it's because your hearts were hard that you got this law. There's a greater picture, there's a greater vision that God has for you in relationships. And it should be this, they are no longer two, but one flesh. And whether we get it or not, right, whether we sense it or not right away, that's the goal. To be one. To be one whole, healthy human being. To be one whole human person. That's what God wants for us. Whether we get it right away or not, that's what God wants for us. And, and most of us, you know, we're so broken, we don't know what that means. Let me give you a little sense, just a, a tiny little sense, I think, of, of what Jesus might be going after right here, when he says to be one. Right, right now I'm going through in my own life a little bit of confusion uh, about what it means to be a father and a husband. I've been asking myself, you know, what does it look like to be a good father and husband? And so sometimes after my runs or my bike rides, I come home and I tell my wife, you know, if I'm, if I'm acting a little bit confusing lately or if I'm acting conflicted, 
Here's why. It's because I've been asking myself questions about what it means to be a, a father and a husband. I'm trying to figure this out. And what that means is I'm not a whole person right now. I mean, I'm still one physical person, but I'm conflicted internally. I don't know how to behave. I don't know how to act. I am not a a whole human being. And, And she can sense that. She can see that in me. Other people can see that in me too, I bet. And this is where Jesus wants to say, look, what I want from you is that you would be whole, whether you are single and, and, and all by yourself, right? Or you are married and with somebody else, you need to be one. A, a classic picture of what it looks like is, is if you have two rivers, right? Marriage can be pictured like that a little bit. Take two rivers, they merge together, two bodies of water, they merge together, and they need to come together as one, They mix together for a while, and there's a torrential mess, right, everywhere. But eventually, the two should merge and and flow together so that their sediments, their particles, their nutrients, everything in that body looks like one. Now, that's a lot harder, even in real life, than we'd like to imagine. Maybe you've seen this picture before. This is in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, And this is where the river in Vancouver meets the ocean. It's, It's quite a stark line, isn't it? Uh, If you're there, you can actually see very distinctly where the ocean and the river meet. Uh, And and if you're looking at it, it looks very much like these two bodies of water don't mix, which, frankly, is what too many marriages and relationships are like, isn't it? It's, It's like two bodies of water that just don't even belong together. Now, this is a much better relationship image or illustration even for what marriage though could be like than we could possibly imagine. Because what's going on beneath the surface here is that actually it's, it's over a long course of distance, a long span of distance, the, uh, the two bodies of water are merging. And underneath the sediment that is coming out of the fresh water is mixing with the particles of the salt water and they're causing the two to drop and fall to the surface. So that on the surface, all you see is a stark line where the two bodies meet. And then underneath, there's a very long distance of these two bodies of water meeting. And, and this is such a great relation, illustration for marriage because this is what happens with every two bodies of water. They take a long time to mix and to merge together. And below the surface, there's all of that churning as the two try to meet together. And above the surface then, for quite a while, you'll probably pick up that they don't really look like one. But God is saying, look, if you want to have that real relationship, whether you call it marriage or your society calls it something else, it's got to be one. That's the only time you can finally say you've gotten to that one. One story I thought that, that brought this home for me was uh, the story of Louis Zamperini. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man named Louis Zamperini. He was, he was a, a, a flight, fighter pilot in World War II, and in 1943, his uh, plane crashed into the Pacific Ocean. And, uh, and Louis then was captured after 47 days at sea. He was captured after 47 days by the Japanese, and he was tortured, he was imprisoned, and he was beaten for two and a half years. 
After two and a half years, he was, he was finally released from his imprisonment and torture. And when he got home, he had PTSD, and he started to drink. Uh, and his wife, Cynthia, uh, she could hardly take it because Lewis, basically the only thing he dreamed about at that point in his life was killing this man that he called the bird who had tortured him for countless hours. One night he even woke up and he was, he was basically killing his wife. So his wife, Cynthia, decided that it was, she needed to get a divorce, that their relationship had been separated. It was indissolvable and they were uh, already separated, so it was just simply a matter of, of recognizing it. Something changed in her life, and we're going to come back to that in, in a little minute. And, but somehow, somehow, Lewis found a way to forgive the people who had captured him. His life changed, and he stopped drinking. He found a way to pe- forgive the people who had tortured him and beaten him. Uh, and then his relationship with Cynthia was renewed, and their relationship blossomed again. He said they were blissful together. This is what Jesus is saying. Right? This is what Jesus is, is picturing. He's saying, look, whatever the turbulent waters, there's got to be a way to get to actually being one again. One whole being, one whole person. And this is so much higher than any of us could ever imagine. Because here's, you saw at the end of this section, here's how high he puts it. Here's how high this goal is. He says at the end, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, I don't know a single person who reads those words and looks at them and says about them, yep, that's no problem. I can handle those words. Right? I don't know if you read verses 11 and 12 carefully, but it's anybody who divorces his wife. Jesus is basically saying is, if you get a divorce you're causing your spouse to commit adultery. And you're, you're, you're committing adultery if you get remarried. Now, I don't know anybody, a pastor, any person who reads those words and says, that's no problem. I can handle that. You know, N.T. Wright is one of these, is a, is a pretty good scholar of the New Testament, and, and he says, if you read those words out loud, you're going to seem cruel and unfeeling and unforgiving. How could Jesus possibly put the bar for what it means to be one, that high. See, this is where Jesus wants to get, help us understand. The idea of what it is to be one is way more than any of us can imagine. Conservative people, religious people, they tend to think, as long as we stay together in our relationship and we work hard at it, then we're okay. It doesn't matter how much we flourish. It doesn't matter how much we're one. It doesn't matter how much we're on the same page. As long as we we stay together and we work at it, that's all right. And so when the relationship doesn't work out, they say, oh, it just didn't work out, right? We have to even use the word work as if somehow we didn't work hard enough at it that we could fix it under our own power. And God says, look, that's not even close to good enough. That's not even close to good enough. And and irreligious people tend to look at it and say, I want to flourish, I want to be one, I want to be a whole person. And they just miss the fact that they can't flourish. Most people can't flourish all by themselves. Jesus says, look, this ideal of what it is to be one is so much higher than any of you have imagined. You have to have something else. 
to make it really one. You have to have what God has joined together. Because that's how the end of Lewis's story goes. The part that we skipped out of, of Lewis's story is, has this happen. Lewis, in, in, in 1947, after he got back, his wife told him, right, that she wanted this divorce. And then she went and listened to a, a preacher, an evangelist. And that night, she had a spiritual awakening. She came back and she told Lewis, I don't want a divorce anymore. I want you to come and hear this, this preacher. And Lewis went and heard the preacher. That night, the, the preacher preached on human sin. Lewis heard that he was a poor and wretched and an awful sinner. At first, Lewis was indignant. He was ticked. He was annoyed. He said, I'm a good guy. And as soon as he said it, he started to realize what a, a lie that was. And then he came around and, and he, a couple days later, he confessed his sin and he received Jesus as his Savior. It was that moment, it was that moment that began to change their relationship so that Lewis and Cynthia could then come to the point where he was saying it was a blissful relationship again. And this is what God would have you and I know. It may not be so drastic, but there is only one way to fuse together two people into one space And there is only one way to fuse together even any one of us into one space, to make us into one. We have to have somebody else put us together. And it was somebody else who was so broken and beaten and tortured and imprisoned and abused that he was not just separated from his father, but could be connected fused together to us. The Bible puts it so powerfully at one point on how much Jesus would go through for us where it says, it pictures that a mother forgetting a baby and it says, can a mother forget her child? No, it's not possible, right, for a mother to forget her child. And yet, where the Bible would then goes on to say through the prophet Isaiah that even if the mother could forget her child, God would never forget us through Jesus on that cross. That is how tightly, that is how intimately God and Jesus has fused himself to us so that in one space, in one spot, you, you can be connected with somebody else and be a whole person. And that's the only way then that you and I can be connected to anybody else and be that whole person. God knows just how much you and I have been through broken relationships that have hurt us. You know, when, when the, he says in this lesson, it's because of the hardness of your heart that you got these laws about divorce. I, I don't know about you, but that rings a little bit too true for me. I had, I had hardness in my heart way before I even thought about getting married. I got bitterness and resentment from relationships, dating relationships when I was a kid. I had, I had bitterness and resentment from friendships that, that really busted up and hurt me. I had bitterness and resentment from parental relationships and uh, other teacher relationships that just didn't work out and I didn't feel loved. You know, when God has said, look, there is a spot, there is a person who has endured the worst beating and torture 
and imprisonment. And he has fused himself to you so that he can absorb all of that hardness out of your heart. And you can finally be connected to somebody else. And if you are willing to leave that bitterness and that resentment and that anger and that hatred and that judgmentalism and that pain with him, then you can finally find a way to be fused in the same space to somebody else. This is what God wants, to make you a whole person. And so, friends, let's, I want to ask you to, to do something maybe with me. Maybe this is something that you can, can do as you, you head home. God says to be one is to be able to occupy the same space, right? To, to be in the same space. And, and I wonder if you can do something. Do this little test to see if you're one. Whether you're single or you're married, this works. Go home and sit in silence. Maybe you close your eyes. Maybe you don't close your eyes. Just sit in silence. If you're single, sit by yourself. If you're married, sit with somebody else. How long can you do that before you get anxious? How long can you sit in silence before you get resentment or bitter towards somebody else? How long can you sit in silence before you're annoyed? Because if you're one, you can sit in the same space and it's good, right? You're whole, you're one, it's okay. And that's the picture that Jesus wants to put before you and me, is that to be whole, to be one. Marriage can make us one, but more importantly, God's grace can make us one. Let's pray for that. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to, to enjoy marriage and relationships. But we see that you've got a greater picture for us here, to be one. And I pray that, that you would take the bitterness and the resentment and the, the judgmentalism and all the other pain out of our hearts that, that keeps us from being one so that we can be whole. Whether we are single or we are married, we can be whole and bring healing to these relationships. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.